what is the point of celery without the sour cream and onion dip, you know? Isn't that what the scoop part is for? Not even the most trivial matter escapes your inquiring mind, does it, detective? You're absolutely right. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. We're finally back. We're still a little extra salty, sultry. It's we're been al- a couple weeks. We're always extra salty, but we're a little extra sultry today still. We're recovering from the plague. Whatever cold it was that... Knocked us on our ass. Gave me and our daughter a sinus infection. And- oh, God, it was the worst. So sorry we missed an episode last week, but... As everyone keeps telling me, how the fuck do you put out three episodes a week? I don't know. We just do. But we didn't last week, and I was so sorry. What, like it's hard? What, like it's hard? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't have any chill. I, like Nick, have zero chill. So I was Um, on a work trip (laughs) last week. It was really hard for me to admit that we weren't going to make it. I really tried. And then yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to call this. We can't, you can't even understand us in real life. You're not going to understand us on a microphone. Right, but I was on a work trip last week, and I told Ray, I was just talk, talking a lot, you know, because I talk a lot. Yeah. But I realized on the way home, I didn't quite realize how much Rachel and I don't just sit still. Right. Whenever we get a little bit bored project ideas come up yeah and then we have to get up and go do something yeah well a rolling stone gathers no moss so and rachel has no moss ain't no moss on me all right so we're gonna do an episode a forever night episode season two episode two a fate worse than death what do we think this title means in the context of the whole episode sometimes they're obvious and sometimes it's like what are we talking about here um Looking back on this episode and thinking, what does a fate worse than death mean in the context of this episode? Maybe it's worse to betray your people. Or is it a glimpse at the fact that Jeanette may regret some of her choices? Oh, well, yeah. We definitely mm. go into Jeanette's backstory. Yes. And we get a little, we get a lot more emphasis on Jeanette this episode. Right. And I was thinking, you know, I think we've kind of set aside our like lust energy here between Nick and Jeanette. But what we get in exchange is a far deeper Jeanette character. Right. And a far more mature relationship between the two characters. Because last season, we were free. We had no LaCroix. For the first time in a thousand years, Jeanette had no master. Right. And neither did Nick. And now Ooh, maybe he's back. 
maybe the reason everything's toned down between Nick and Jeanette is because Lacroix is back. And when Lacroix was out of range of their vampire GPS, they were just like always going for each other. Yeah. Yeah, they were finally free. It's like the you're finally set free after literally a thousand years. Okay, and so how about how about this for a fate worse than death? Okay. Having to live with yourself after you've made regretful decisions. Yeah. That's that's a good one too. And so that that would apply to Jeanette realizing that oh, maybe I did some things that I shouldn't have. But then also the antagonist in this episode. Yeah. Have it she doesn't get killed. Right. And she doesn't get to escape scot free. She has to go to jail and realize that she killed her friend. Yeah. Yeah. And this I mean, this whole episode centers around sex work. And a little bit sex work as metaphor for vampirism and sex work as metaphor for being a vampire with an overbearing master. Right. Overbearing father figure. Which which is particularly apt right now because Lacroix is back. He just came back. This is and, our second episode with right. him. Yeah. And from Jeanette's perspective, like she she gave up she escaped from the sex work and pimps. But Lacroix is kind of her pimp. Yeah, that's what. That's why it's kind of... That's the analogy. We're working with some heavy metaphors this entire episode. And because it centers around sex work, and because the language around sex work was so different in the 90s, I should have, ke- I should have kept a tally of how many times we used the word hooker. Yeah. Because we are throwing that word around like it's beads at Mar- Mardi Gras. I mean, they are tossing hooker out every third or fourth sentence. And I have to say, this was challenging for me to listen to because sex work is such a complicated topic and such a nuanced thing to navigate. And in the 90s, it wasn't given the same grace and the same thoughtfulness that I think we try to give it now in 2023. But we just have to put on our context lenses And remember that the conversations surrounding sex work in the 90s were very, very different. It was 30 years ago. The 90s is as far away from today as the 60s was from the 90s. So, yes, it's challenging to listen to, but they are trying to tackle some very... They are trying to... They're trying to have a conversation about it. Often the show is trying to prompt questions it's trying to use narrative to discuss problems that are otherwise difficult to discuss they are discussing it in a way somebody in the 90s on cocaine writing a script might discuss it but they are trying to do it and that's what we're kind of trying to do here as well and kind of like star trek use space travel as a metaphor for society we're using vampirism as a metaphor for sex work Okay, that's fine. So we just kind of accept that, and then we'll move on through the episode um, with that in mind. Because we open with a sex worker, and she's in a hotel room, 
uh, primping, getting ready. And we're cutting between her and a guy walking down the hallway. And he looks super jazzed that he's about to go meet this woman in this hotel room. And she actually calls out, are you ready? Even though he's not there yet. And then she turns and we do our classic. You just see the muzzle of the gun. You don't see who's holding it. Right. And she gets shot. And then our guy arrives and he does like a, he throws his coat and he's just. Oh yeah, he's, he's lit. Yeah, he's just, he's just came from the bar. He's about to make it with one woman, we assume at this point. And he's super excited about that. And he goes to lay in bed. He puts the the phone on his chest. He dials the operator to get some, I don't know, room service. And then and he reaches over and lifts his hand up. It's covered in blood. <gasps> because the woman he was hoping to meet is there, but she's not alive anymore. Bottom. Bottom. And that's our crime. That's how we open. Then we go to the intro. And we come back, and it's already a crime scene. And there's approximately 55 people in this small hotel Trumping room. around. Milling about. stuff up. Uh, they are wearing gloves. Nick is rummaging through this woman's purse very elaborately. Yeah. But he is wearing gloves. So okay. That, I, mean, well, they, I guess that's an improvement. That's great. And Skanky is eating an apple. He's eating this entire episode. We have some sort of random subplot going on where Skanky is on a diet, and then he ditches the oh, diet. Yeah. And then he's talking about how he's on a new diet, and the new diet is called, I get to eat whatever I want. <laughs> um, but he gives us our first seemingly insensitive 90s commentary on what's happening. Because Which is his purpose in the show. Yeah, because Nick is clearly actually investigating this. He's trying to figure out what the woman's name is. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And Skanky's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead hooker, posh hotel. No one saw anything. What is it, Wednesday? Like, this is what happens all the time. I don't know why we're right. bothering to put some effort into this. We're not going to figure it out because no one's going to fess up. And Nick's like, well, her name was Julie Beamer. Right. Maybe we could stop calling her the H word for like five seconds, Skanky. No, he's not going to. Sorry, that's not that's not going to happen. And they talked to the guy who came up. And his name is, I forget, something. Draper. Barry Draper, I think. Is the He's the John. He's the John. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I don't know. I met a guy in the bar. I gave him 300 bucks. He gave me a room key. I came up here. I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, look, you're not a suspect because everybody saw you coming up here. Like everybody knows you weren't in this room when she died. And in contrast to Skanky's previous insensitivity and jadedness about investigating this kind of crime, he was paying attention to that number. Yeah. Because later on, he knows he's it. like, wait, 300? Oh, snap. Oh, yeah. Clinch. Yeah. That's why I like season two Skanky, because we get a little bit of the, he goes from being, I'm an insensitive womanizer who's jaded and over my job to I'm a goofy dad character who's paying way more attention than you think I am. And he's performatively jaded. Yeah, performatively jaded. And then it's like, okay, well, we're going to investigate it, but I just want you guys to know that this is this is not like a new right, that, thing. That's kind of how he plays with the role of his job so that probably he can you know joke and tease about it about the the I guess plausible stereotypes so that he can get through the like actual trauma 
of having to be exposed to this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, day after day after day. And then go home to your wife and your kid. Right. Yeah. Right. You you have to play with it. You have to be able to use humor to lighten the mood just to be able to, like, have an actual conversation about this. Right. And Nick finds raven matches in the lady's purse. He pulls out this matchbook, and it's got the raven on the cover. And he's like... He's like, oh, I've never seen these before. Oh, Jeanette. And so we immediately cut to the raven. And Jeanette's at the raven. And he's talking to her about it. Well, first she's lighting matches. Right. She... Yeah. We we use the match book as a transition piece. Right. So she's just sitting at the bar lighting matches and blowing them out because Jeanette. For, for our recurring bartender, Miklos. Miklos. Yeah. He appears like twice. He's just like Grace. He appears oh, he in was, a couple episodes. And then... He was in episode one. Was he? I remember the name Miklos. Oh. And her... Uh, you know, I don't know. There's a big debate. pronunciation why, of it. Why there's a debate, I don't know. It's because we got so little content that we just have to pick it apart like a sparse meat on the bone kind of thing about whether or not Miklos was supposed to be a vampire. And the lady who wrote these couple of episodes was like, meh, I don't know. I just felt like we needed a recurring bartender character. Yeah, and I, I like it. It adds a little more uh, permanence. Yeah, like the Raven's a real the place. Raven. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and Jeanette, it's a real place with real people. I know, and Jeanette is fabulous this entire episode. She gets a couple uh, really good outfits in here. We can just say Jeanette is fabulous, full stop. Just full stop. It's fine. Yeah, I don't love her hair. She's wearing like a hairband. She's going for like a Roman hairband bun combination here, which isn't like her best hairstyle. Mm-hmm. But I think I've mentioned that season one, they knew what to do with her hair. And in season two, they absolutely fucking didn't. And it doesn't really take away from Jeanette as a whole. It's just there were questionable hair choices made for Jeanette. This curl perm that she has for most of it is difficult. (laughs) I prefer her bob. But, I mean, that's just personal. A little personal choice. Uh, The cool thing about this episode is we're going to get her backstory. We're actually going to get some Jeanette flashbacks. Because we go and Nick is trying to talk to her about sex workers. Because she does provide like a shelter for them. Um... And he's like, well, that's un- that's uncharacteristic. Like, I thought you fucking hated humans. And she's like, well, they're my kind. We're all ladies of the night. And he's like, well, no, I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm not judging you. I'm just pointing out the potential hypocrisy it, in your it's statement. More, it's more, there, there's a little bit of contrast in how you deal with this group of people versus literally everyone else. <laughs> literally Like every other else. human. Yeah. And a little bit of. I'm proud of you for showing yeah. some compassion. Like, and... oh, I didn't know you did that, Jeanette. Yeah. Oh, my God. High That's five, so girl. High five. Oh, my God. Like, if I'd known, I wouldn't have been so cynical about your overall outlook on humanity. And she's like, well, I'm not talking about humanity. I'm talking about, like, my people, like sex workers. Right. Like, the people, because Jeanette immediately goes into a flashback, and we find out that she started out as a sex worker. Um, That's what she was when LaCroix found her. And we don't get a lot of like plot sort of in the background, but we're really just finding out how she became what she is. And unlike Nick, who turned into a vampire for unknown reasons. Um, I would say there was zero mystery about the particular lure. <laughs> Jeanette. Jeanette. <laughs> that that right. brought Nick right. over. But I mean, Jeanette had a had a philosophical reason she had a life reason right she wanted to be able to be strong enough she chose it yeah 
as a way to escape, to become something different than yeah. she was, something that wasn't vulnerable to the same kind of influences that kept her trapped right there. Yeah, she wanted to be strong enough to have control over her own life. Right. Which is ironic because the Quad doesn't give them control over shit. The only thing you get is what I give you, is literally what LaCroix said. Right. Yeah. And every once in a while, LaCroix goes off and they get some freedom. And and I think they realize it gives them that... Con- Maybe it's intentional on LaCroix's part that he he leaves every once in a while and gives Nick and Jeanette some space so that way when he comes back, they, they're they aware of the contrast yeah. of how much influence LaCroix actually has over them. That you know, when he's around for like 100 years, they kind of get used to it. Yeah. And then he's like, oh... Now you're, you're you're a little bit broken in. Like you're used to me being here. Like you're not you're not fighting me. Like I I want spirited people around me as my family. I'm gonna go give you some space. So then, when I come back, you'll be aware of how much I'm constraining you, and and you'll be fighting me. Right. And I'll be able to see that fire in your eyes. and <laughs> I'll get to break you all over again. <laughs> so he gets this, the satisfaction of having yeah. this much power over these yeah. um, you know, spirited people. Right. Well, I mean, we see Jeanette as a human. We start out with her as a human. And she's yeah. talking to her friend who's pregnant. And they're both, they are sex workers. Friend and co-worker. Friend and co-worker, yes, in Paris. And her friend is pregnant. Which is a mortal sin. Like, oh no, how did that happen? I have sex with multiple men every night, involuntarily. Well, she explains that her husband kicked her out because she she couldn't couldn't conceive a a child. And now her pimp is going to kill her because she... Conceived a child. Did conceive a child. And Jeanette's just mad. And this whole episode, this whole flashback is set up beautifully, as usual. Except Jeanette's questionable hair choice, which is voluminous. Let's put it that way. Voluminous. I don't know why they went with that, but that's fine. And um, it's all, everybody is great. LaCroix actually gets this pretty banging outfit. Yes. He looks, I would say, I was LaCroix's like, outfits, oh, Nigel. Oh I was surprised God. a couple times. Like, yeah. ooh. Ooh, my God, you look so good. And then her pimp walks in and he looks like he walked off the set of a Beatles I, mockumentary. Every, everything looks good <laughs> up until like mid cheek. Yeah. And then. The horrible wig starts. It looks like somebody bought a Beatles wig at Spirit Halloween and tried to alter it to make it look period specific, but it just looks like a bad Beatles wig. I wonder if they were supposed to use like this guy's natural hair, but then he showed up for filming with like a mohawk and we're like, dude, we can't use a mohawk. I can't do anything with (laughs) that. What do you want me to do with this? What the heck, man? Yeah. And uh, just grab that wig. Off the shelf. Uh, I don't know. If I, I don't have time for this. Somebody get me a wig. Go to Dollar General. Get what find what whatever you could find. I don't know. Bring it back. It's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's like the mullet wig. Why? Who was in charge of the hairstyles? Who was the hairstylist? I demand to know. <laughs> <laughs> because questionable hair choices are made for everybody except Skanky and Lacroix, and they are both largely bald. 
So right. questionable hair choices could not be made. Uh, I mean, I guess they could have given them a wig. But still, I just... Mm. Anyway, moving on. Moving on from the hair question. But I still want to know. Um, Jeanette gets a really kind of a poignant line, which sort of sets up our theme for the episode. Because she's talking to her friend, and her friend is like... You know, I wish I could have just stayed married. If I'd known I could get pregnant, I could have just stayed married. And she's like, well, then you'd be laying down for one man instead of five. Um, if it's not one master, it's another. I'd still be married and living in England instead of a prostitute in Paris. So then you would be lying down for one man instead of 20. Is it really better? If it's not one master, it's another. <sighs> At least this way we have each other. Womp womp. That's exactly what Jeanette's going to learn. And that sums up Yeah, for Jeanette's the next thousand years. Backstory. If yeah. it's not one master, it's another. Like, here's her perspective on the world. I think we're supposed to get a little bit that she's not jazzed LaCroix's back. That they're both a little bit like, well, shit. We almost got free. I mean, right. Jeanette is copacetic. I mean, there's simpatico, her and LaCroix. Right. But yeah, I think there's a little more... Um, personality similarities between Jeanette and LaCroix. Yeah, but that doesn't mean she or doesn't even, want him to even just, just get the fuck off of her a while. Of, uh, of the attractiveness of exploiting people. I think... I think just reveling in what they are. Right. Yeah, just being right. what uh, you are. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have as much guilt or shame about what they do to the lowly humans. Yeah. Right. Whereas Nick sees himself as... A member of humanity. Yeah. 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 And I, but Jack, Jeanette's just, you know, he's back, which is like, oh, good. Laquaz. It's back. like, how are you going to twist my arm to get back at Nick? Yeah. 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 You know what? It's got to suck to, you were, a, you were the favorite child. You were the, you were chosen. You traveled together for 200 years. You found this random dude in a bar, turned him into a vampire, and he has sucked. He has been the squeaky wheel for 800 years. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and poor Jeanette's just like, can we leave it? Can we just leave it? Like, I just want to go do fun stuff. Can we just let Nick, like, like let Nick, let him wallow? Yeah, okay? Nick's a nice guy. Okay, I like him. You yeah. know, we were we've been in love for a long time, but you know, I don't get any of your attention anymore. I know. Can we just can we go on vacation together, just you and me? Can we have a can we have a Lacroix Jeanette date, like for five <laughs> minutes, please? <laughs> and not talk about Nick. Yeah, but after we get through this flashback, um, Jeanette, who was initially combative and uncooperative, is feeling more like, okay, fine, I'll help. Like, maybe we are on the same side. I, I remember a time when I felt like you feel, so okay, fine. And she tells him that Julie's pimp's name is Mason, and that he beat her regularly, and that she'd given her shelter a couple of times, but she kept going back to Mason, because probably because it was all she knew. Um, which Jeanette's a little bit talking about herself, too. Like, maybe yep. um, you just keep going back because you don't know anything different. And you don't know that there's something better because you can't remember what better was like. And she softens and she tells them where Celeste is. And Celeste was Julie's friend slash co-worker. And she's over at the bar because Jeanette gives them shelter, gives them a place to come and be. And they can just be themselves and they don't have to feel like anybody's judging them for their line of work. And Skanky walks over and he's like, hey, I'm looking for Celeste. And Celeste's like, sorry, I'm I'm not working right now. And then Nick walks over and she's like, well, I couldn't make an exception. 
Which, ooh, for, sorry, Skanky. Sorry, Skanky. Uh, but he is eating a good, again um, because later they go and they're uh, interrogating Celeste and he's eating like carrots and celery. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of celery without the sour cream? I know, he's, isn't that what the scoop is for? <laughs> Because Cohen says, what's with the rabbit food? And he's like, ah, Myra's worried about my cholesterol again. <laughs> Poor Myra. She's just trying to make Skanky a better, like better, but he's off by him. I mean, he's he works a high-stress job, and he clearly eats his feelings, yes. right? And so he's trying to eat he's his feelings. He's an emotional feelings. eater. But these are not working for him. Uh, <laughs> this was such an odd thing to include, but I love it. This is why I love this show, because they know we're dealing with something pretty heavy here, and it, it's okay to throw in. This is our, like, C plot. Yeah, it's It's good. I love it. This is the, like, campy but sincereness that I love about shows of this era. Is they didn't need to be Game of Thrones. They didn't need to be House of the Dragon. They didn't need to blow you away with their special effects and their plot lines and their whatever. They were literally competing against, like, 90210 and a couple other shows. They had the I love sci-fi fantasy crowd. They were going to tune into this show because it was it was sci-fi fantasy. Right. They were going to be the like, only, the I guess we're watching the Vampire Cop again. I have talked to, we've had a lot of visitors because it's like family visiting month. And I, we've been chatting with a lot of them about Forever Night. And they're like, you know what? I think I watched that. I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember anything about the show, but I think I watched that. I'm like, yeah, of course you did. It was like the thing that was right. on. So they just needed to be entertaining. And that's what they are. And that's what this little skanky plot is. It just gives you a chuckle in between all these other heavy things that we're dealing with is the fact that skanky is trying to eat his feelings and carrots just are not doing it for him. And also in contrast to some of our earlier episodes, like the first episode, Nick had those shoulder pads that were approximately 18 inches away from his neck on both sides. <laughs> but in this episode, he gets a little suit jacket, black button up, which looks really nice. His facial hair is trimmed a little better. Too. Yeah, we've we've neatened that. We've we've aged him down a little bit because he's not wearing the vest and he's just wearing like a nice black button up, which he. He looks good in black. I'm always glad when they put him in black. But of course, he's not wearing a tie. He never wears a tie. But he's talking to Celeste. And she's like, well, yeah, he hit her. But he didn't hit her that hard. Okay, maybe she fell down. Well, I don't know. It's not that bad. Quit looking at me like that. She's just like, I don't know what, what you want me to say. Um, it's shitty, but here I am. I am what I am. I was living on the street. I owe him everything. He couldn't understand. Oh, I understand, all right. He made you what you are, and now he controls you. Don't do this for him, Celeste. Which is kind of our secondary theme for the episode, which is, do you have to be what you are, or can you change? If you've made choices that have led you to something that you no longer agree with, you no longer like, mm -hmm. do you have to live there and make the best of it? Or can you fight to change? And we're talking a little bit about sex workers that don't want to be sex workers anymore. And we're also talking a little bit about vampires that don't want to be vampires anymore. Right. Or maybe and don't whenever, want to be that kind of a vampire anymore. Whenever you identify yourself with an identity, a like descriptive identity, you're immediately trapped. Yeah. You're immediately trapped. Or once you deviate from that a tiny little bit, now you aren't that identity anymore and you don't know who you are. Right. So you have to get back in line or 
re-identify yourself it, yeah. with something slightly different. Right. And Nick actually says, oh, I get, so he made you what you are and now he controls you. And he's talking to Celeste about Mason. And you're like, are you talking about Mason? talking or are you talking about lacroix mm. mm, maybe a little bit of both and this is where we get our celery scoop is for french onion dip because <laughs> <laughs> he's talking to cohen <laughs> Love it so much um and they follow her they let celeste go because they've got nothing they can't keep her and they can't even keep mason because mason had an alibi right yeah uh oh, we which don't... only gets more which we haven't actually captured mason yet because we're about okay. to follow celeste which is my, my oh, favorite right. thing is when they follow people in a like 1962 cadillac of which like less than ten thousand were made a green shiny cadillac <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna notice this incredibly fucking distinctive car just parked on the side of the road you're literally gonna look over and be like oh, that's a fucking sweet cadillac you're not going to be like, oh, that's a Ford Pinto or whatever. <laughs> right. I, there's no, there's no way you're going to overlook it. So they're they're trying to be stealthy. Right. They're like, especially the kind of people that they're like stalking. Yeah. Like, they're going to look and be like, oh, that's a car of someone with some personality, with some ego issues. Yeah. That may be receptive to what I have to offer. Right. This is a potential customer. Yes. And they're straight up parked like. 15 feet from her right they're not even down the road or anything they're like, uh, they drove up and parked right next to her and they're sitting there with like binoculars go down the block. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're 20 feet away with like 5x zoom binoculars yeah, I know. it's you might as well just have a camera lens and stick it out the window and be taking pictures of them the only reason they're not is because it's snowing and they don't want to keep the window down because it looks fucking cold it yes. looks so cold. And these poor actors are out there in these mini skirts. They must be fucking freezing. Uh, but she makes them, obviously. Celeste comes over and she's like, oh, hey, guys. Oh, you, you liked me so much you followed me here, huh? You, you open for business. I'm open for business. And they're like, no, we're just following you. And she's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Um, so why don't you guys, uh, you know, have a good night. See you later. And she leaves and Skanky's like, oh, dang it. I think she made us. And he turns back around and, and Nick, Nick is, is just gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> Nick has taken this opportunity to whoosh out of the car. Cause you know, what's even less conspicuous than a 1962 teal green Cadillac parked on the side of the road is a dude flying and following you <laughs> and watching you from like fire escape landings <laughs> up, in the, up in the wall. Uh, yeah, Nick Vamp follows her because he's invested. You know, Jeanette is invested, so he's invested. Right. He cares about the things that Jeanette cares about. So he's because trying he to cares about because Jeanette. Because he cares about Jeanette. So he's trying to protect Celeste. I think he'd care anyway, but I don't know that he'd be vampy about it. Um, I don't know that he would use his special set of skills as much as he does. Because he follows her and he ends up following her where she goes to meet Mason. And as soon as he hears her get slapped, he barges in and arrests Mason. And so Nick is trying to help Celeste by, I mean, they're going to book Mason. They're going to charge him with this crime because they think they've got him on this, that clearly the only person who could have killed Julie is her pimp. And he's like, you know, I could find you somewhere to stay. And she's like, oh, you're going you're gonna to give me to a social worker? Do you think a social worker is going to help someone like me? And Nick's like, well, I think it's worth trying to get help. I think if you don't want to be doing this, then yes, I'm going to try to help you to get out of this because I know what it's like to be stuck in, stuck as something or doing something that you don't want to do. 
but you are like compelled to continue doing because you feel like you don't have a choice. Right. And I'm willing to help you with this. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then they actually get, she's like, I, I, I think I'm making the right choices here. Like I have a fur coat. I, I live the good life. And he's like, yeah, you're at a police station at 4.30 in the morning. Does that sound like the good life? And that's when they find out that Mason has a pretty good alibi and they can't hold him. Right. So they've got to let them all go. And <laughs> Nick is like, I mean, you got to live the life you've got. But that doesn't mean you can't change it. And it's like, oh, Nick, you're, this isn't you. You know that, right? Like, right. this is Celeste. I mean, he's trying to use his personal experience to be able to relate to her. But right. he can't say, I'm relating to you because I have a similar set of experiences. Right. I'm I'm sympathizing, not empathizing. Right. Because he can't explain that. She just sounds like a dude trying to tell her what to do. Right. He's a middle-class white dude in yeah, a position of authority. With lots of money. Telling her. Yeah, who never appears to have struggled. Right. Trying to tell her, you know. Trying to identify with the. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> oh, sex worker. yeah, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I don't want to discuss this with you because we don't have, we're, we don't have common ground. Right. So please just stop, stop judging me for being what I am. Stop assuming anything about me because you don't know me and you are right. not he's, me. He's actually sympathizing with her, but <laughs> from from her perspective, there's no way he could. Yeah. And it just comes off as... Didactic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, May, so Celeste goes to the Raven. She leaves the police precinct. She goes straight to the Raven and Mason finds her there like immediately. And Jeanette is like, GTFO Mason, or I will literally tear your throat out with my teeth. But my my sense here is Jeanette is doing her best to offer an escape route for Celeste. Yeah. Without without violating Celeste's agency. Right, without actively interfering in a way that would force would force Celeste into a decision that maybe she wouldn't have made otherwise. Well, even just like no Celeste, like I'm going to hypnotize you into staying here tonight. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to hypnotize um Mason, Mason into, leaving. into leaving. Yeah. So that because I'm not going to she could exert her influence over the yeah. two of them with the intention of protecting Celeste. But that would be violating Celeste's agency to actually choose this if she really actually wanted it. Yeah. And yeah, she literally only uses hypnotism to get Mason to stay in in place for a second so she can have a conversation, like a right. private conversation with Celeste. And she tells her it's not about what you are, it's about who you want to be. And Celeste's like, I know who I am. I am who I want to be. Right. And so she's doing the same thing to Celeste that Nick was doing. Yeah. Where Nick is like, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to give you an out, but I'm not going to make you do anything. Right. I'm just trying to tell you, I know where you are and it fucking sucks. And I'm here if you need me. And she literally says, look, you can, can, you can still see the light. You just have to keep swimming. Like the right. only time you actually get, start to drown is when you give up and stop swimming. And Celeste is like, yeah, unless you learn to breathe the water. 
Celeste, they say that when you're drowning, you can still see the light above you until you stop swimming. Or you learn how to breathe underwater, and you don't remember how to breathe the air. I don't belong up there. Which is mm. bullshitting yourself. Yeah. Because you can't breathe water. Right. That's you, still drowning. Yeah. Yeah. It's just accepting the fact that you're drowning. And Jeanette's like, well, I tried. I mean, she really doesn't want to do any. She doesn't want to take away this girl's choice. Because right. leaving her the dignity of making a bad decision, which is important. If you have the dignity of choice, you also have the right to make the wrong decision. And that's what Jeanette feels Celeste is doing, but she can't do anything about it. Uh, she can't do anything about it without compromising herself. Right. Without compromising her morals. But she does go see Nick about it. Right. Yeah. Which is, I was impressed with how, I don't know, sophisticated or mature both Nick and Jeanette were about this. Yeah. Where they didn't, they weren't so pushy. Right. With Celeste. Yeah. And they, they're just kind of like mending to each other about it a little bit. Because she shows up at Nick's apartment and Nick's dressing gown has made a glorious reappearance. <laughs> What is the point of a dressing gown? Because he's still wearing his suit pants and black button-up shirt. He just has his, like, dressing gown on top of it, like, tightly belted around the waist. Is he chilly? Maybe he looks nice, but then also, like, you don't have to touch your regular clothes. You, when you like an like, apron <laughs> when you when you put your hands on like rest on your hands on yourself yeah. now it's this like velvety <laughs> soft fabric maybe it's like a, we're supposed to be seeing that nick is at his leisure that, that yeah. this is he's he's off duty it's a way of expressing yeah that he's that at, he's settled in yeah he's at home and he's getting ready to just like chill for the day and Jeanette shows up in her like leather cape outfit which we're going to see this leather cape several times her i've had to truck through a little bit of sunlight outfit. yeah this cape must have fucking weighed 50 pounds it is leather and it is like down to her knees mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's yelling at him she's like well why'd you let mason go and he's like well because mason didn't do it like mason had a good alibi i had to let him go right, she's like hold him. she's like excuse me um i don't care if he did it or didn't do it like you compromised the people that he hurts by letting him go and is this where she said the line um there's a difference between not guilty and innocent? Not quite yet. But yeah, okay. she's like, you're old enough to know the difference between not guilty and innocent. And Nick is like, look, I operate under the confines of the job that I have chosen. And I have to abide by the rules that I have that I have decided to accept as my moral code. And I can't just go and kill people because I think that they're guilty of something that undermines everything that I'm trying to do here. And she actually says, who am I talking to right now? Nicola or Detective Knight? Take care of it. Well, I haven't seen you like this before, not in 800 years. What is it? Who's asking? Is it Nicola or Detective Knight? I am. You of all people should know what her life is like. Trapped in a world of darkness with no way out. No escape from the hold of the master over her. Ooh. And Nick is like, they're both the same thing. 
Like the, it's a or, distinction yeah, without difference. It's who's who's asking me to do this, Nicola or Detective Knight? And he just looks at her and says, "I am. I am. Me. Fucking me, <laughs> Nicola right. and Detective. Stop Knight. confusing me with these identities that I." Have. Uh, that I portray. Yeah. I am myself with you, Jeanette, and I'm myself yeah. right now. And I'm telling you, you you just have to let these things happen. Like, these are humans. We don't get to be God in their lives. We can't just kill. We, we can't commit the hypocrisy of killing the guilty. We just had a whole episode about that. Don't you remember <laughs> the part where I told you we are the guilty? And there's no difference between guilty and innocent blood. And we have to outsource that shit. Like, they have laws and rules and regulations for a reason. And eventually, he's a bad dude. Bad things are going to happen to him. We don't need to be the bad things that happen to him. Um, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to go against this moral code that I have accepted just because you're peeved that this dude got out and is hurting women. Like, I'm mad too, okay? But this isn't how we get him. We're working on it, okay? And she's angry. She's like, well, that you're not who I thought you were. And he's like, I am who you thought I am. You just don't understand what it means to be me. You don't understand what it means to live within the structure of society because Jeanette has rejected that structure. So don't presume to know what I'm trying to do for you right now. Just trust that I am, that I am working for it. We have the same goal. We just have different means of getting there. And so we get a flashback because Jeanette's so traumatized by this conversation. Right, she drifts off. <laughs> that it fl flings her back into the past. And it's her fighting for her life. She was running and trying to get help, but because of who she is and because of what she does, um, no one's willing to help her because she's less than human. Right. And LaCroix shows up and kills the guy who's trying to um, rape her. Yeah. Yeah. And Nigel Bennett looks really good in this moment. <laughs> he turned around and I was like, oh, okay. okay. I mean, season one LaCroix, I love, right? But our stylish choices for him were weird. We dyed his eyebrows dark and then he had super ice blonde hair. Right, and, he had like the ice blonde hair that was a little bit too long and like spiked straight up. And he also gets kind of, he's always got this like petulantly amused expression. Like he knows he's fucking with people's lives and he's like, he got a hard on about it. But when he turns around and looks at Jeanette, it's a very like affectionate paternal look. Paternal. Yeah, look. a paternal look like, oh, we're going to have some good times together. Like you good? Like I, I just tried to save you i just want to make sure you're okay yeah, okay you have a nice day you're welcome you're so fucking welcome <laughs> i mean he really does he has this very soft expression and it makes his face so much like i, I don't know i was just like oh okay <laughs> um this is another one of those episodes that like i love season two but i don't rewatch this one as much as i rewatch some of the others um and I'm again, I'm just glad we're going through this together because it really gives me a chance to just sit down and be like, okay, this was a far deeper episode than I was giving it credit for. Because we are layering a lot of themes onto our main plot. Right. And the fact that Jean I don't think Lacroix sees himself as the overbearing like pimp, effectively. No, absolutely that not. That he is. I think he sees himself as their parent, as their right. protector and their 
guide and their leader. And I think he takes his responsibility as somebody's sire very seriously, especially when it comes to Jeanette and Nicholas, because they are kind of his chosen family. Whether or not they chose him as their family. he, He has turned a lot of vampires. We keep running into vampires that Lacroix has made. Yeah. But he doesn't like follow them around and check up on them and in the same way. Try to give them life advice and guidance and like all this stuff that he does for Jeanette and Nick. Yeah. Because they're his they're his chosen too. His they they are a family in his eyes. Right. And he's always trying to be the dad to Nick that he thinks Nick needs. And we get that moment of like, yeah, paternal, that paternal facial expression when he turns around and looks at Jeanette as he's, she's running away because he just saved her. And he's about, in his mind, he's about to save her for good. Right. Because he's about to give her the ability to save herself. Right. And we go back to the present. And Nick has been affected by Jeanette's um, speech far more than we realize because he's yelling at Skinky about how they need to get Mason. They need to figure he's guilty. We just need to figure out how he's guilty. We need to we need to make something. Right. We need up, to get basically. something on him. We got to get something on him. And Skanky's like, whoa, 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 dude, don't make this about you. This isn't about you. I thought we settled this yesterday. We got nothing on the guy. Then we'll get something. You're wasting your time. She's been living that life. She doesn't know how to function in the normal world. What are you saying, Skanky? She's screwed up. Okay, so you just write her off. No second chance. Whoa, whoa, do not take this personally. You know, every cop gets involved every now and then. It's happened to me. Which is really perceptive of Skanky to immediately be like, are we fucking talking about Mason or are we talking about you right now? My benevolent supernatural creature of some description (laughs) seems to have attached themselves to me and won't leave me alone because I literally left my precinct and you followed me and I'm just trying to make the best of it, okay? (laughs) Um, And then we go to Natalie and Skanky, or Nick is talking to Natalie about Skanky and he's literally like, you know what, maybe Skanky was... um, was right and natalie goes well there's a concept (laughs) (laughs) she's trying to highlight to nick that it is significant that nick is saying maybe skanky was right right she gets some pretty pithy kind of snarky insightful lines she gets some personality full lines she's not just there to provide information like all right the dead guy died of this this and this for nick to go oh my god and run out of the room she actually gets some like i am your guide i am your human guide right now moments Mm -hmm. in this episode which i think carries through season two where she doesn't necessarily get to be the developed character i would have loved to see her as but she gets to be less of the I'm literally only here to plausibly provide you with this information so that we can move forward in the episode. And we go to um, the Raven because Nick is like, well, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Jeanette about this. Um, I'm conflicted. I feel I don't like how we left it. I'm going to go talk to her. And so he goes to the Raven and she's missing. And Miklos is like, hey, you want a drink? You can have a drink while you wait. And he's like, you know where she is and you're trying to stall me. So I'm out. And so he probably uses his vampire GPS to go find Jeanette, but he finds her at Mason's and she's Mason is dead. And Jeanette turns around and hisses at the camera. And of course this is our commercial break cliffhanger. We don't, we think maybe Jeanette killed Mason, but when we come back, we find out, Oh no, 
Mason was shot in the same way that Julie was shot. With the same caliber gun. Yeah, and Jeanette just was in there. It was a wrong place, wrong time kind of moment. Right. And she's got this cute little messy bun mm-hmm. <laughs> with the curls hanging down. I was like, oh, this is a really sweet little hairstyle. This one's not bad. It really does look like she was like, look, I don't have time to primp. I just got to go murder a man. Then I'll come home and do my full face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks really cute. I like when we had Jeanette's extra and I love when she's extra. But I also love when we're like, oh, she's a person, too, which we get a lot in this episode. Like, she's not just um, an appliance that lives at the bar and, and wears cute dresses. She's also it, a person. Like, gives information to Nick when yeah. he needs it. Yeah, a lot of the women exist simply to provide Nick with the information required to move the episode well, and forward. Like, most shows, I don't know the name of the, like, archetype or trope of this character where the main character is, uh, s- like, stuck on something. They need, like, this one breakthrough like revelation or piece of like the key piece of information or whatever and so they go to this person and they're just kind of venting like oh i'm stuck on this and i can't i don't know where to go from here i'm lost or whatever and then they're they're just like oh well here have a drink and like here's an anecdote from my life or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then they're oh, like, snap. Then oh, snap. put all the pieces in place and now I, I know you're what to a do. genius. Yeah. Boom. And disappear. We can call it Linda. Cause that's Dr. Linda's entire purpose in the Lucifer television show. That's yeah. 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 Uh, but this time when Skanky shows up, he's eating a donut. <laughs> it's and Nick's like, Oh, a donut. Huh? And he's like, yeah, I decided, fuck it. Cholesterol's going to happen to me. I might as well just enjoy the ride. <laughs> so he's eating a donut. <laughs> And they talk to a vice cop, Goodman, the vice cop. And um, there's a moment where the guy is like, uh, you know, you're looking at the the you're looking at the downtown version of mergers and acquisitions. Like literally, they just murder each other and then they combine their stable of of assets. Um, in this case, are they women? And he's like, look, you know, this looks real dramatic, but somebody like a, another snake's head's gonna rear. It's like gonna rear up, and it'll. It'll be fine because um, these women are like pilot fish. They just follow whoever is their leader. And Nick actually has to hold Jeanette back. Yeah. Because Jeanette's I like, like oh, I'm going to fucking kill him. And Nick's <laughs> like, nope, not right now. Hold it together, Jeanette. Because they're in a room full of police officers. This is not the moment for Jeanette to be like, pilot fish, huh? Say that to my fucking face. And I love how Natalie's like, oh, um, don't you need to go, Nick? And this is really like, this is why Jeanette can't go downtown and answer questions because it's almost dawn. <laughs> um, so Natalie is there to give us a timestamp, which is helpful because then they're like, well, we need to take her downtown, ask her questions, give her a polygraph. Like she was here. She discovered the body. Don't we need to know anything about this woman? And even Skanky is like, no, she's a friend of Nick's. Nick, Skanky doesn't know why they're trying to get Jeanette out of there without actually having to answer questions, but right. he's immediately there for them, for Natalie Backing and Nick. Them up. He's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. She's she's Nick's friends. We, we don't need to. Well, we know where to find her if we need to ask her any more questions. And Goodman's like, um, what? That's not no, this, this is, is like, this is procedure. This is literally how it's done. Like, this woman discovered a body. She's a person of interest. We need to take her back and question her. And Nick's like, no, 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 we don't. And so he ends up hypnotizing him. And he's like, you don't need to see her She's not a suspect. She's not a suspect. And then he's like, oh, and while you're at it, 
he gives them an instruction about like, can you go find like Celeste. find Celeste? And Natalie's like, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> You're gonna have to show me how you do that someday. Because <laughs> it's like, all right, well, we're done. We now we can go. And so they leave. And this is when we get the line about, you know, you are old enough to know the difference between not guilty and innocent. This way it keeps us from choosing the wrong side. We didn't have any evidence on him because he didn't do it. Oh, please. You're old enough now to know the difference between not guilty and innocent. Because she's like, well, Mason deserved to die anyway. And Nick's like, no, he was innocent. And she's like, he wasn't innocent. He was just not guilty. He was not guilty of murdering Julie. Yeah, this particular crime. But he's not an innocent person. Yeah. And he's like, no, like, you should know better. Because she's just going to belong to somebody else. Someone had to free her. This didn't free her. She'll just belong to someone else, that's all. Kind of like you. And Jeanette's like, oh yeah. Yeah, because we immediately go into a flashback. And it's the flashback where LaCroix turns Jeanette into a vampire. And it's like, yes, you get to be free of your human, human dude now. But Out of the frying pan into the fire. Into the LaCroix fire. Yeah. Um, which again, I don't think LaCroix thinks that way. No. 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 I think it's more like they are real because they had that little bit of freedom where there was not even the threat that LaCroix was going to come back. Right. And they they believed that he was dead. Yeah, that they were free forever. Right. And now it's like, well shit. We're not. But they go back out to question some people on the street because that now they've got nothing. Mason's dead. Julie is dead. Celeste is missing. And they have absolutely no fucking clue who killed any of these people. Because the obvious answer doesn't seem so obvious right now. Because they're still thinking of Celeste as the victim in all of this. Right. And they go and park down the street kind of having a conversation. And one of the sex workers walks up to the window. And she's like, oh. Two dudes, huh? Well, there's two of us. We'll give you the same deal that Julie and Celeste Celeste used to give three hundred dollars, and they're like three hundred dollars for the and two that's of why you. Spanky's and she's like, like oh, three hundred dollars. And he goes three hundred dollars for the two of you, and, and the lady's like, all right, fine, two fifty. And she goes, wait, are you cops? And they're like, yeah, we're cops. He, she goes, two hundred dollars, professional courtesy. <laughs> and. Nick is like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Skanky goes, yeah, I think Barry Draper was hanging. I was holding out on us because they both immediately get it. Because yep. I love the Skanky upgrade, the Skanky glow up for this season, mm-hmm. which is Skanky is far more on the ball than he appears to be. Part of his, like, I'm eating a donut and, you know, complaining about celery is a smokescreen. Right. Yeah. So they go back and question Draper, and he confirms he paid $300 for two women, not one. So there should have been two women in the apartment. Right. Or in the hotel room, not just the one that they found dead. Yeah. So now now we have some information about who else was in the apartment that could have been holding the gun. Right. And because we've been framing Celeste as a victim this entire time, they don't immediately think, oh, well, the only other person in the hotel room was Celeste. So Celeste might be the murderer they think celeste is our witness yeah celeste to the third person that was in the room whoever killed with the gun which to their, i mean this is to their credit we've been throwing the h word around a lot we've been heavy on some sex worker stereotypes but the fact that they aren't immediately vilifying 
every sex worker in this episode is refreshing. Um, but for the 90s, this was pretty progressive. In the meantime, Goodman has found Celeste and she's at a hotel and he's trying to give her like a pep talk like everybody has been doing so far. And she's like, oh, yeah, vice cop with a heart of gold. And he's like, no, just a cop with a daughter about your age. And she's like, yeah, that's real, real nice. Pew, 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 pew. And she shoots him. (laughs) (laughs) She shoots him. And then she dips. And she runs to Jeanette at the Raven and is pretending to be upset because she's still pretending to be the victim. And Nick and and Skanky find Goodman at the hotel. And they're immediately like, oh, dang, whoever killed Julie must have found Celeste here, too. And this phantom gunman also killed Goodman and Celeste must have run or maybe got captured. And now we need to go find her. But Nick. Nick's like, like, ho, ho, ho. Goodman didn't even reach for his gun. He didn't feel threatened at all. And they're like, oh, shit. That means it was Celeste. And so they run to the Raven. And we get a little bit more flashback in the meantime. And we find out that Jeanette killed her pimp. And we get the fun line because... (laughs) LaCroix had told her, people will say that living a good life is the best revenge, but I say living forever is the best revenge. And Jeanette's like, no, no, no. Revenge is the best revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Because she kills um, Ringo. I don't know. He just kills her pimp. (laughs) Uh, And that is the end of the Bad Beatles wig, and we are all the better for it. But in the meantime, Jeanette's like, look, I remember a time when someone gave me a gift and I'm going to give you that gift. Because, right, to help me escape from the, the yeah, prison. Yeah, because you are in. drowning. And I'm going to give you something so that even if you do drown, you'll never die. You're going you're gonna to get out of this, and I'm going to help you. And Nick arrives just in time to keep Jeanette from turning Celeste into a vampire. And Celeste is like, well, what the shit? What was just happening? And <laughs> Jeanette's like, um, what are you doing here? This isn't a male space right now. Like, this is a female problem right now. And Jeanette... Um, is wearing this like adorable little tutu low cut dress thing, which is she wears it a couple of times and it's really, really cute. And there's a part where she's going to get shot by Celeste and Nick jumps in front of her. Nick knows full fucking well (laughs) that Nick is that Jeanette is going to be perfectly fine. The only reason he jumps in front of her is to protect her wardrobe. He's like, not the dress. And he just jumps in front of her. I really like you. I really like that dress because we know Nick has a million more coats. What's a couple holes in this coat? Who cares? It's blousy. If it's moving just right, no one's going to see it. Right. If we wear a black shirt underneath, we're perfectly fine. But the dress, because she goes to shoot Jeanette and he literally hops in front of her. She gets shot a couple of times, but not as many times. You know, it's cheaper to get a couple of bullet holes repaired than it is to get like six. Six. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, they call him. Skanky arrives with actual backup because Nick just left him. He's like, I gotta go. And he just left. And Nick's like, or Skanky's like, all right, I'll call for backup. <laughs> so they show up. I'll meet up. you there. I'll meet you there. So they show up at the Raven, and Natalie is pulling bullets out of Jeanette <laughs> over on this couch. And Nick walks up, and she's like, do you have any evidence for me? And he, One, two, two three. three. He drops bullets in her hand, and she's like, and where did we find these? And he's like, um. In the wall behind the bar over the there. The wall behind the bar. And she's like, right, wall behind the bar wall behind the barn so he sits on the couch next to Jeanette as Natalie's walking away and he's like are you okay and she's like yeah your friend's an excellent surgeon like it didn't hurt when she took him out 
And he's like, I'm not talking about the bullets. And we have this really uncommon moment of solidarity where she's like, do you really think it's worth it trying to be a human? You really think it's possible, don't you, to start over? Yes. I hope you're right. You do? If that's what you want. I would have killed to set her free and I would do no less for you. You must never do that. Nicola. And this is our first hint that Jeanette is softening a little bit to the idea of Nick's quest for mortality because she realizes that maybe she stopped seeing the light because she stopped swimming. Not because right. the light disappeared. And that maybe Nick's not wrong in trying to be a better person. Right. Maybe she wants to, to be regain. A- some humanity or some, yeah. Um, how, how did he phrase it? Um, finding his soul. Yeah. Because she didn't see Celeste. She saw herself and she couldn't recognize the deception that Celeste was throwing her way because she was just blinded by her own trauma. And maybe if she had been more in touch with humanity she would have been more in touch with the fact that Celeste was not the victim. She was the bad guy. And she's kind of feeling morose a little bit. And she mm-hmm. actually tells Nick, look, I'm not going to try to be human, but I will kill anyone who tries to stop you from trying to be human. And he's like, I appreciate the sentiment, <laughs> but please don't do that. And she's like, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Restrain yourself. And he's like, I do know what you mean. You meant that literally. Please don't kill anybody for me. That's not how I want to go about doing this. And it's really sweet because we spent the whole last season kind of shaming him for what he's trying to do. And we really spent kind of part of the first episode of this season shaming him for the Mm -hmm. fact that he won't let this human life go. And this is Jeanette being like, look, I see you. I see you and I accept you. And they get this poignant moment about, look, we, all, we both know what it's like to live in captivity. It's about how we live in captivity. We must escape or die trying. Vampires and humans alike. And we just have to make the best of it. Right. Just like Celeste kind of tried to make the best of it. Yes, she went about it kind of the wrong way, but she was trying to she was trying to free herself in her own way. And we know all about that. Well, in the end we find out she wasn't just trying to free herself. She wasn't just trying to escape. Well, she was trying to be the She the was boss. trying to claim yeah. the position yes. and become the oppressor. Right. Right. She, the hallmark of trauma is trying to is is the compulsion to perpetuate to that perpetuate trauma. that trauma, and that's what she was going for. Right, was, and she was so stuck in this mindset that, literally, for her, the only option that she could imagine that she could follow through on is becoming the boss. Becoming the boss. Yeah. Take it like my world only has these two fixed roles. Yeah. And I can be one of them or I can be the you other You can be one. the pilot fish or you can be the shark. And there's no third option. Right. And she's like, well, then I'm a fucking shark. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's 
sad way to end the episode because they then like snuggle on the couch, but it's not like. Right, a- but then, um, Nick and Jeanette are like, Nick is kind of showing Jeanette, hey, yeah, Celeste, yeah, like you, before you were a vampire, you had this worldview. Celeste had this worldview that there's, you know, two positions you can be in. And I also had that worldview for a while, but Nick is like, Jeanette, there is a third option. Right. There's not just pilot fish and sharks in the ocean. Right. You, there is another path and Jeanette's kind of like, okay, um, I think I will try it out for a little while. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Right. I'm not like. And so I think that's "Mm, the. I'm not mad at it. That's the the moral of this episode. Yeah, and we actually get some snuggling at the end, which last season would have felt very like fuck me energy. Yeah. But this season feels very like snuggle me energy. Snuggle me. Yeah, a more mature kind of like a, a more you get the sense that they've been together for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And that it's not always about sexual intimacy. Sometimes it's about emotional intimacy. And so right now what she needed wasn't physical intimacy what she needed was a shoulder to lean her head on just like a moment and some reassurance and some reassurance that she's not a bad person right she took a risk yeah trying to help celeste and then she's like nick like nick i tried it your way and i got burned yeah and nick's like well that happens sometimes it happens sometimes but it's worth it because every once in a while it works yeah and I think this is a moment of forgiveness, too, because we had a heated argument. Right. Yeah. And yeah. this is kind of Nick saying, like, I'm proud of you. And you also get the sense in this episode that Nick's continual striving to be better has left him far more emotionally mature. Yes. Than both Jeanette and LaCroix. Right. Where his continuous quest his continuous striving for something new, even though it has been harder and it has made his life harder, it has made him a far deeper, more compassionate person than they are. And I like that. Because often we have framed him as weaker, that his quest for mortality has made him weaker, has made him less than the Right, others. because he doesn't, he's not as skilled sometimes in the vampire arts. Right. But and, that's not that's not where his power is. Right. That's not where his power lies. It's in his ability to empathize and sympathize and to be compassionate. And, and cooperate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I liked this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we <laughs> we actually sat down and watched this with um, some family members that are visiting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sorry, guys, we got to watch Forever Night because we got an episode to record. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> watched two more episodes afterwards and they were in it they were like okay yeah we can watch the next one and i'm like yes one (laughs) of us one of us (laughs) in fact the one was like is this streaming on prime i'm like absolutely it's streaming on prime but you'll have to find the third season and they were like perfectly fine not a problem i can do that (laughs) and you will (laughs) that about sums it up yeah yeah we have an instagram I haven't been doing very much on the Instagram because, again, hashtag sick, hashtag sick, hashtag sick. 
Hashtag um, April has been crazy. Hashtag motherfucking April. Um, but hopefully we're back, back in business. Backstreet's back, but not Backstreet. Strange and Beautiful Book Club is back. <laughs> we didn't do Hi, I'm Rachel and Hi, I'm Matt. <laughs> we just rolled right into the episode. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. <laughs> Welcome to Strange and Beautiful Book Club, which has an Instagram and a YouTube video, which again, I haven't been posting every single day like I was trying to because, again, hashtag sick. But I'm, I pivoted a little with how I was uploading the episodes to YouTube. So I'm focused on upload, uploading all the Forever Night episodes now. Um, so the Forever Night episodes are coming mostly one a day on the YouTube episode, YouTube channel. So if you have anybody who's like, man, I'd love to listen to that, but I don't have any podcast stuff. It's We're now up on YouTube. It's just a still image with like talky-talky over top of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's fine. Uh, until I figure out how to do recording for us down here, I'm not really concerned about it. Um, a lot of podcasts do that. So anyway, we have nine subscribers on YouTube now. I know, we're almost done the double digits. <laughs> um, we do still have a recommendation form. I need to figure out how to put up a link to it because the website is still broken. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Um, hashtag sick. That's all I can say about that. Hashtag somebody join the Patreon, which we also have, so that we can afford to pay somebody to make a better website. <laughs> please. Um, please. The Patreon is there. Um, we're working on some more Patreon-exclusive content. Um, that's going to start getting posted here pretty soon. So if you want to enjoy the full range of what Matt and I offer, the Patreon is the perfect place to do it. Um, there's a dollar tier. What's a dollar? I always say that, but come on, what's a dollar? And then there's a $5 tier, which gets you access to the Discord. It's the Night Nights. So if you want to be a Night Knight, hop on over to our Patreon. I try to put a link to both in all of our show notes. So if you can't find it, look to the show notes. They're there. Um, but I'm about to lose my voice, so I think maybe we'll just wrap it up here. Yeah. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.